The book of 2 Timothy is all about finishing well. You know, it seems to me that we often talk about and pray about living well. And that is important. But we need to pray more, I think, about finishing well. Because one who lives well wants to end well too. Look at 2 Timothy and let's highlight some things we examined last week. But I'm going to build on it significantly tonight. If 2 Timothy is about finishing well, let me give you a main idea for finishing well from each of the four chapters. Idea number one. Hold to Jesus and His gospel. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Hold to the pattern of sound words which you've seen in me and faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. Nobody is going to live well, nobody's going to finish well who doesn't hold on to Jesus and His word, to Jesus and His gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verses 8 through 10. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. You want to finish well. You want to live well. You want to finish well. Suffer for Jesus and His gospel. Suffer for Jesus and His gospel. That's really what 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10 are all about. Suffer for Jesus and His gospel. Because only in Christ is there salvation. He is the suffering servant of the Lord. And we will suffer if we serve Him. You can tell a lot about a person by what they're willing to suffer for without complaint, without whining. Chapter 3, continue in Jesus and His gospel. That's what the whole chapter is about. And you'll see this expression, certainly in verse 14, but probably in verse 10 as well. But you... But you, no matter what anyone else might do, you continue in Jesus and His gospel. Not everybody lives faithfully. Not everyone dies faithfully. Chapter 4, proclaim Jesus and His gospel. Chapter 4, verse 2, proclaim Jesus and His gospel. If you and I would finish well, these are matters that must be stressed and they must be matters that we live by and die by. Now, focus especially on 2 Timothy 3. Having given you a broad view of the message of 2 Timothy and finishing well, focusing on 2 Timothy chapter 3, five guidelines, five guidelines for continuing in Jesus and His gospel. Five guidelines. Number one, look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Continue in Jesus and the gospel, no matter how difficult the times may be. Perilous times will come, but you continue in Jesus and His gospel, no matter how difficult the times may be. Sometimes we say to ourselves, Lord, it is just so hard to keep on keeping on. Paul knew something about that as a servant of the Lord. And he says, continue in Jesus and the gospel no matter how difficult the times may be. Guideline 2. Look at verses 2 through 9. 
Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 9. Continue in Jesus and the gospel no matter what others may do. Follow not a multitude to do evil, Exodus 23 and verse 2. Few there be that find heaven and its richness, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The Lord said, no matter what anyone else may do, continue in Jesus and the gospel. Now notice verses 10 and 11. A third guideline. Hold in high regard godly mentors. Young people, hold in high regard godly mentors. Maybe it is an elder in the church. Maybe it's a Bible class teacher. Maybe it is a gospel preacher. Maybe it is some senior saint. But hold in high regard godly mentors. And in Timothy's case, that mentor is Paul. How we need to remember that a person may be a godly mentor and yet still have feet of clay. But godly mentors would be the first individuals to say, follow me even as I also follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Guideline number four. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12 and 13. Have few illusions about this world. You will not escape persecution if you are godly as a Christian. And people by and large will go from bad to worse to bad to worse to bad to worse. Verse 13. Have few illusions about this world. A person makes the world a better place. By living for Jesus and serving Him faithfully throughout their life. You and I can make an impact for good by living for Jesus and by following Him until we take our final breath faithfully. A lot of us think that we're going to change the world. The best way to change the world is to be like Jesus and to bring up your family in that way. Number five, a fifth guideline, seen from verses 14 through 17. Hold to God's precious and faithful word. Continue in God's precious and faithful word. If you want to continue in Jesus in the gospel... Grow so that your progress is evident to all. 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. Saving not only yourself through Jesus, but those who hear and know your life and have heard about your teaching. Verse 16. Now here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to focus now especially on verses 15 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15 through 17. We're going to continue working our way and narrowing the focus from the entire book of 2 Timothy to an emphasis on chapter 3 and now just on verses 15 through 17 and what they say about the precious Word of God. Outside of Psalm 119, I do not know of any passage that is more comprehensive in what it says about the Word of God than 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. It's just a few verses. Psalm 119 is 176 verses. Virtually every one of the 176 says something magnificent about God's Word. But you get to the New Testament and you'll find no passage that deals with the Word of God is more comprehensive than 2 Timothy 3.15-17. through 17. There are no less than ten affirmations about Scripture in this passage. No less than ten. All ten are worth a quarter's Bible study. You're going to get it in one quick lesson. So chew well as I'm putting out significant material. Ten affirmations about Scripture. Affirmation number one, when life is really hard, continuing Jesus and His gospel, what's the affirmation about the Word? The Word of God is, first of all, simple. That from a child, verse 15 says, that from a child... I know that in the Bible there are things that are difficult to understand. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Peter says that Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. Well, I think Peter wrote one or two that are kind of hard to understand too. But thank God that many things in Scripture are simple, are understandable, Have you ever just read the Sermon on the Mount and how the words of Jesus are even in English one or two syllables most of the time? It's rare to see a three-syllable word in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible speaks of Jesus praying and how He had hidden the things of God. God had from the, the knowledgeable and learned and revealed them to babes, Matthew 11, 26 and 27. And how that God's Word will make us wise. Psalm 19 and verse 7. How that God's Word is simple. Minds can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3 Think about this. Many of the great truths that young people sing and pray and discuss in pew packers are truths that ought to sustain them the rest of their lives. Wouldn't you agree? The Word of God is simple. 
we can understand so very much of how God wants us to live and what to do to be saved because God has been very clear about these kinds of matters. Notice again this affirmation. Secondly, the Word of God is knowable. That from a child you have known. You have known. You have come time and time again to to, to this knowledge, this experience. You have known. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 32. We can know that the doctrine that we are studying is from God, is of God. John 7 and verse 17. In a world of no absolutes except the absolute that you have to know, you can't know anything for sure, the Bible The Word of God is simple, and it's fair to say that. And the Word of God is knowable. It's knowable. There are those who are ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 7. But the Word of God is is knowable. Third, I understand there's some things we don't know. The secret things belong to God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But just as it's accurate to say that Scripture is simple, it is also accurate to say that Scripture is knowable. Some things God has not revealed. Some things are harder to understand than others. But truth is knowable. Third, notice this about the Word of God, this affirmation. The Word of God is holy. That from a child you have known the holy. Holiness is an attribute, a quality, a characteristic, a perfection of God. Isaiah 6 and verse 3, Revelation 4 and verse 8. It's not unreasonable to think that God's Word, God's message is holy too. God's Word is holy. Those of us who preach God's Word must never forget that the Word that we proclaim ought to be the Holy Word of God. Those who teach Bible classes ought not to forget that the message that we proclaim is God's holy message. And those who listen to sermons, and by the way, I think people need lessons on how to hear our sermons, especially sermons by Mike Vestal. Amen. Because you're going to give an account for how you've listened. My heart stands in awe of your word. Psalm 119 and verse 161. May that be true of those who proclaim the message. And may it also be true of those who receive the message. For the message of God is holy. Affirmation number four. 
Look at 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. A classic passage in the New Testament on the nature of the Word of God. The Word of God is what? Simple. The Word of God is what? Knowable. The Word of God is what? Holy. The Word of God is what? Written. Written. You have known the Holy Scriptures. God's Word is written. And this is such an important point to bring out. Listen. God's written word is just as powerful as His spoken word. Think about how God's word brought into existence creation. Think about how God's Word brought Lazarus out of the tomb. Think about how God's Word, written Word, is powerful and makes life possible. Eternal life. John 6, 63 through 68. Your words are spirit and your words are life. Verse 63. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Verse 68, Scripture is written. When the devil was dropping all of the bombs of temptation on Jesus in Matthew 4, how did Jesus respond? With, it is written. I suspect many people who are Christians, who claim to believe that the Bible is God's Word probably neglect to use Scripture to the degree that we ought in dealing with temptation in our own lives. What a powerful and formidable instrument the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Word of truth is. Ephesians six seventeen. Notice this classic passage on Scripture. Notice this affirmation number five. That from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. It's able to make us wise. The Word of God is able to help us overcome sin. It's able to give us knowledge of God and what He is like, Father, Son, and Spirit. It is able to help us know how to please Him. It is able. The Word of God is powerful. Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. It is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. Powerful. To those that are perishing... The gospel is foolishness. 
But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 Mighty strongholds are pulled down by God's powerful word. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. We have to have faith in the power of God's word. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Listen, friends. If you're giving up on this country and just thinking that at this point it doesn't seem to be salvageable, does that thought ever enter your mind? I suspect it may. It does mine. That is something we need to be careful about. Because God's Word is powerful and it can bring about great changes. How about world evangelism? Many places it seems here uh, the church is not growing, but in other places throughout the world there is tremendous growth. Can we not attribute that to the power of the gospel? And then better apply that here? How we need to keep in mind in our praying, not just how we live, but how we finish, and that it reflects a real trust in the power of God's Word to do what He designed it to do. Can I get an amen there? That's not much of one. Can I get an amen there with some? If it's powerful, a lethargic amen will not do. Thank you. I don't ask for them often, but when I do, I'm not asking it for me. I'm asking it because if it's true, say so. Okay? Notice this, number six. The Word of God is soul-saving. The Word of God is soul-saving. Able to make you wise to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Able to make you wise to salvation. This book helps us to know God and His saving will for us. That makes it the most important book that's ever been written in all of life. Soul saving. Acts 11.14 Peter proclaimed to Cornelius and his house. Good people they were. Words whereby they could be saved. James speaks of receiving with meekness the engrafted word that is able to save one's soul. James 1, 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Speak of the gospel being received. Our standing therein. And our being saved thereby lest we have believed in vain. The Word of God is soul-saving. 
I've said this before, but it's a good time to say it again. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice the best possession, your word. Notice the best place have I hid in my heart. Notice the best purpose that I might not sin against you. We need more of that type of attitude as the people of God today. The word is soul saving. I love this one. If you're following along, this is number seven. Didn't think we would get through it this fast, did you? Still got three to go. The word of God is inspired. Every scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired of God. The Word of God is divine and human. Before anybody raises their eyebrows in consternation, so many great truths of the Bible have a divine side, a human side. How about Jesus? Fully divine? Fully human? You can't deny either of those things and expect to be right with God. How about the church? The church has a divine side, doesn't it? It's its source, its originator, its purchaser. But the church has a human side too, doesn't it? It consists of people, flawed, varying maturity levels, backgrounds, etc. So the church has a divine side and a human side. Would you agree? Sure you should. How about salvation? Salvation has a divine side and a human response, does it not? We talked about that at length in the morning lesson. And we would say quite simply that from a divine perspective, God is a God of grace. And from a human perspective, humans must put their faith in him. So to say that the Bible is a divine book is absolutely true. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 David would say the word of the Lord came by me. 2 Samuel 23 verses 1 and 2 The word of God is inspired. It's divine. But it's also human. Because God chose to use human beings in the production of His message. Now, listen to me. The style of Paul is not the style of John. 
And the style of John is not the style of Luke. But each and every writer of Scripture wrote only what God wanted them to write. But he still used their personality. It's amazing. I never tire of thinking about that. Now here's what I hope you'll remember here. Revelation plus inspiration equals the Bible. God revealed His will to individuals whom He inspired. And the result that we have in our hands is sacred, holy Scripture. Powerful and inspired it is. It concerns the words. Jesus had a really high view of Scripture. So should we. Scripture cannot be broken, he said, John 10.35. He believed that inspiration extended beyond the thoughts to the very words. And we need to have as high a view of Scripture as the Lord to whom we belong did. Imagine thinking of Scripture as food, and it is, 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, and not digesting it and taking it in properly and well. Imagine thinking of Scripture as a sword, Ephesians 6, 17, Hebrews 4 and verse 12, but not utilizing it to deal with temptation or perform surgery on our own hearts. Imagine thinking of God's Word as bread and a feast but not trying to take in as much as we possibly can. The Word of God is inspired. This is ever so important. God's Word will work in this life and this world because God's Word comes from another world and deals with eternal life. I assure you, my friend, that God's Word works in this life and works in this world because it has come from another world and gives us eternal life. Y'all having fun? I'm just about to start to have fun tonight. Let's look at number eight here. God's Word is profitable. It is useful. Every scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is useful. It is beneficial. All the benefits of taking in richly God's Word. All the profit of it. What is it useful and beneficial for? 
Let Scripture answer for doctrine, for teaching. If it has something to do with life and godliness, it's profitable for doctrine. 2 Peter 1.3 For reproof, the idea is that God's Word not only is good for knowing what's right, but it is good for confronting what is false and not right. For reproof. The whole idea of reproof is that something is amiss. That it's out of sort. That it's not right. Then the Word of God is beneficial and useful for correction. How to get right. How to go the right way when we were going a way that wasn't right. For instruction in righteousness, God's word is profitable for staying right with the giver. For instruction in righteousness. It is actually the same word that is used for bringing children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 6. Not only can children be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we all can and should. God's Word is profitable. It's useful. Number nine, this affirmation, God's Word is all-sufficient. All-sufficient. That the man of God might be complete... Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Jesus told the apostles the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. John 14, 26. And scripture conveys the message of the apostles inspired of the Spirit. I don't need... God's Word plus pop psychology. I don't need God's Word plus human philosophy. I do not need God's Word plus the traditions of men. Though I believe that psychology, philosophy, and traditions can have their place... But our hearts and lives must be captivated, must be held captive by God and His Word. God's Word is all sufficient. And you know what? Nowadays it seems very common to say, yeah, but we just need something else. I'm just not getting enough. What people need is a steady diet of God's Word to build them up and strengthen their hearts and souls.
And if you don't feel like you're getting it, it's despite my best efforts. Take that up with the Lord. It's all sufficient. But here's something I really love, and it's number 10. You're saying, well, Mike, you've run out of verse. Well, you know better. Look at that verse again. The Word of God is transforming. I see that in the expression, the man of God, the woman of God. And Steve, it's such a sweet expression, the of God man, the of God woman. And it's an identification of a rich and precious and beautiful relationship. The of God man. The of God woman. There's not a parent who loves God and their kids anywhere who does not want their kids to be of God men and women. They may be an of God child but we want them to become of God men and women. Model what you want others to be. Model what you want them to be and become a man or a woman. As opposed to a child, a man or a woman is a person of ability. They are individuals of integrity. That's a man. That's a woman. That's a lady. Ability and integrity. But not just that. Stability and maturity. When we talk about a person being a man, they have some maturity. They should. If we say they're a woman, they've got some maturity and stability. In the church of Christ, we need people who are of God men and of God women. That show integrity, maturity, stability, and ability in honoring the Lord and knowing His will. The more time you spend seriously investing yourself in God and His gospel, the more of God and His gospel may just rub off on you. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. You want to live well when life is hard. Make sure you get as much of God's word into you as you possibly can. Years ago, members of the church were known as people of the book. I wish it were more true today. But I know of cases where they used to say, we don't have a Bible handy in the court of law, but that person's a member of the church of Christ. We'll just put our hand on that person's head, and that's enough. 
But you know what? We can have facts stored in our head. And as important as that is, what we really want is facts because of the relationship we have with God. That's where facts really become so important. When we have a relationship. If you're not a Christian, through faith, repentance, and baptism, come to Him tonight. But the lesson tonight has been especially for those of us who are. Every time you hold the Bible in your hand, think about the treasure that you're holding. It is a love letter from God Himself to us. Let us stand and sing.